In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, verse 14. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to the Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm going to be bringing you homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God dwells in every nook and cranny. At least we try to remember that, especially while cleaning the bathrooms and where life is often ordinary always busy and sometimes verging on the frantic. Each week I cajole and tempt a member of the public to join me for part of the show. I'd ply them with cakes and coffee if we weren't all things digital, but they come and chat anyway and we talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child rearing above their highest joy. Yes, that's my English accent you're hearing, though I've lived in the Lone Star State half my life I can't shake that Oxford draw. After the first break, Stephen David Horwich, an amazing dad who decided to homeschool his children solo, is going to be telling us his story, which you won't want to miss. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm an hour late and a penny short this week, but that's not a mistake. It's my new time, high noon. So I've had my elevenses and I'm all set for an hour. So grab your nice hot cup of tea or coffee or chocolate, whatever you fancy, and let me enthrall you with words about gifted children, judgment, Lent, nannying, Oklahoma, and the homeschool lifestyle. Are you ready? Well, here goes nothing. Let's start with pancakes and fat Tuesday, shall we? Mardi Gras, as it's also known, um, is when we eat as much as we can because the next 40 days we fast. We didn't pig out, but we did have pancakes for dinner. They were wonderfully yummy, healthied up with some baked tomatoes and mushrooms, and a little bit of lemon and sugar for me, syrup for my cowboy chef, and we had some bacon to add some protein. We used to have breakfast for dinner regularly while the children were young. I'd forgotten how good it was. Then there was Valentine's Day yesterday, not a huge celebration. My Texan likes to cook at home. So we had a special meal with champagne and chocolate ice cream while we had Salmon as well. We didn't just have champagne and chocolate ice cream. That sounds good, though. I'm repeating that tonight. My friend is coming over. She's my um, well-heeled stranger. That's right, the one who got me into homeschooling. She's coming over for dinner since my cowboy is being the perfect blue-eyed son this weekend and spending time with his mom while she undergoes a heart procedure. I'm not cooking fish again, and I know it's supposed to be Meatless Friday, but my friend doesn't like cheese or fish, so I'm sinning and making sweet and sour pork. Okay. I know, I can skip the pork, so it'll taste just as good, and I probably will. Well, it depends. <laughs> Quick wedding update here. 
Um, I found a jacket to go with my dress. I know you're relieved. Now all I need are shoes and a hat. My gallant knight emailed me some hat ideas. Yes, he's my private milliner and he makes all my hats for me. So everything's looking good. I need to send out invitations this week. Gosh, I keep forgetting that. I get to the end of the week and think, oh gosh, I didn't send those wedding invitations out yet. So far, only two people have RSVP'd on the shower. Um, I'm sure a whole lot more will show up. Do people know what RSVP means anymore these days? And Younger Stortz is busy too. She spent two long days on the film set this week, had a day off to visit friends and say goodbye to her BFF, who's heading for LA to seek her fame and fortune. And then she nannied overnight for a family last night. I've mentioned this family before, but I have to tell you more. The BFF, who's LA bound from my previous sentence, was their full-time nanny. So Dortz wants to pick up where she left off. Only she needs a life so that she can dance and pursue her career. She outlined an availability sheet for the mother to go over, stressing that her film set commitment took priority and could mean one day a week when she couldn't be there for Dash. Short for Dashel, the little boy. Mum in turn sent her a schedule she needed adhering to, otherwise Dortz couldn't work for her, and here it is. And bear in mind, please, Mum doesn't work. She's at home most of the time. Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 9 till 12. Then Malia would have to take him to school for three hours and then pick him up. From 3 to 8, he goes to bed at 8, except on Fridays when it's until 10 o'clock because they probably go out. And then on Tuesdays, it's from 3 to 8. And on Thursdays, it's from 5 to 8. I don't know what they do with him in, in the mornings and the afternoons on those two days. And Saturday, 10 till 10. And the week is a total of 46 hours. Wonder how they cope on Sundays. And we have children because... And talking about children, my guest last week, Suki Wesling, discussed gifted children. I agreed with her comment that labeling a child gifted implies a judgment value. If my child is gifted, then your child is... One of the reasons I happened upon the springy turf of homeschooling was that I had first one child, then two, who were classified as gifted and talented by their public ISD. Labelling, I called it, and my older son had already had a big label firmly pinned to his shirt, T-shirt collar while he was still in the Montessori school and was dragging it around with him, ADD. We're directed to label the deed, not the child. And how true is that? If we tell our child that she's dumb over and over again, she'll act dumb to live up to our dim view of her. So what about those labels like um, wild, crazy, lousy, clever, pernicious, aggressive, destructive, sweet, kind, or flighty? Imagine if every label that you gave your child was manifested as an action. They can be debilitating if they're reinforced strongly enough during childhood. Even sweet, clever and kind bring with them high expectations that may be difficult to overcome in adulthood. Labels in school files are a prompt for how the next teacher, a complete stranger, treats your child. Realistically, we know one or two words cannot possibly sum everyone up. But in something like a report card or a behavior file or even medical records, brief descriptors stand out in the profile and become a definition. Your definition. Just look at Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn as examples of how we market ourselves and perhaps raise stereotypical responses to our self-chosen labels. Homeschooler, for example, not only a very small community compared to, say, teacher, but off-putting for those not in the know and think of us as earth mothers. 
back to the gifted and talented thumb sketch from my older son. When he mentions the name of the school he's attending, cries of not so bad, perhaps some murmurs of lucky follow me from parks and church buildings. Well, true enough, if you're going to have the public school label your child, it may as well be a positive one or not. What does it imply really? That other children aren't gifted and talented? Does gifted and talented really mean that much more than the socioeconomic bracket the child is in? My son's academy that he was accepted into was in a low economic area and it wanted to draw from the more affluent neighborhoods around it. And how? By claiming to have an outstanding gifted and talented program for the gifted and talented privileged moneyed children in the neighboring neighborhoods. Talk about manipulative. Does this really have anything to do with actual academic or potential achievement or are the teachers expecting more from their students and getting it? Really, does a public school's gifted and talented program look very different from a private school's ordinary one? A study was conducted where classrooms were deliberately mislabeled, not to anyone's detriment. And when a teacher was told that her children were in the gifted and talented program, she treated them as such. They weren't. And they responded as such. And they weren't. Children will rise to the label given to them. If it is wrong, then that is a downside. If, if, If it is a wrong label like if you have a gifted child that is you know sort of labeled as dumb because they are so bored in the classroom you know that that all goes wrong so anyway this labeling thing should all schools treat children above their tested ability and teach to the brightest child in the classroom or should they just continue what they're doing and teach to the lowest level in the classroom we know that doesn't work so in real life at home I expected my children to succeed, and they usually did. My two-year-old would carefully carry the full dog bowl across the kitchen to his feeding place. By the time she arrived, her concentration on not spilling any of it or dropping the bowl en route would run out, and she'd throw it down on the ground. She was only two, so it didn't have to go very far. And happily, for me, the dog would eat anything off the floor, so he didn't care. It always landed right side up. On the other hand, if I told her she'd drop the bowl or spill its contents because she was too little, to carry it across the room she'd do all of the above when my oldest son was young um we had no idea that he was the gigi word we had no precedent so we didn't know he was above average for a three-year-old when the rest of the clan arrived and i could do a comparison analysis it was obvious that he was streaks ahead of his peers not because i had recited the alphabet to his unborn form inside my tummy or read him in to him incessantly since conception or even played classical music while lying resting in the tub not me i still hold firmly to the school of thought that when he's ready he'll do it you can prime until kingdom come but if your three-year-old doesn't want to hold a pencil and write his name or spell out kata with blocks even when he's reading fluently then he will not my son was reading at a fourth grade level at the age of six which to my mind didn't say much for the expected reading level of 10 and 11 year olds but a whole lot for the very capable montessori classroom that he was in so we were recommended to the academy in garland 
And my son went there and I had to acknowledge that he was um, brilliant, for want of a better word. And almost at once, my expectations of him soared. Here he sat at the top of his grade, producing consistently good work. Yet when his spelling, dictation and math tests dropped below a perfect 100%, I took it personally. Yes, me, the very laid back homeschooler of modern day Garland. All I could think of was the demotion of my A student to maybe a mere B for some reason, beyond my present comprehension, I found myself pushing him completely zoning out that he did well before the advent of grading and testing in his short life. So why the pressure from me now? Is this a trap set by the schools to breed competitiveness in order to get the best scores or, uh, for the bottom line? And I'm thinking maybe yes. And is it between just the teachers and the parents? Maybe yes. Whatever it is. I don't like it. And we're going to go on a break right now, so don't go far and come back. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. In the annals of recorded history, there has never been anything that can compare to home movies. But now, in this modern era, where do you turn for the best information? Right here. It's the Home Movie Legacy Project, hosted by Rhonda Vigent. Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Learn how to organize, digitize, share on social media, use as genealogy research, repurpose or even monetize found footage. Discover ways to find films about your own family that you didn't even know existed. Or create a documentary that can use the power of home movies to deliver a message that can impact the lives of many. For more on Rhonda and the show, go to our website, homemovielegacy.com. Then be here as the journey continues with the Home Movie Legacy Project with Rhonda Vigent. Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Ministry is filled with both highs and lows, victories and struggles. It can be the best job of the world, but it can also be the hardest. Where do you find the balance between serving God and the joy of truly knowing Him? Wellspring, Tending the Heart of Ministry with Joanna Weaver. Thursday afternoons at 5 p.m. Central. Join us each week as pastor's wife, best-selling author, and host Joanna Weaver interviews women who serve God from the heart, both those who are well-known and those who minister in less visible ways. You'll discover tools for the ministry, but more importantly, you'll learn how to give God access to the deep places in your heart. For ministry is more than what we just do in public. It is who we are in private. Wellspring is here to inspire you to look into your heart of hearts and invest in the place ministry truly begins. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So join us for an hour that just might change your life. It's Wellspring, tending the heart of ministry with host Joanna Weaver. Thursday afternoons at 5 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest today is Stephen David Horwich, who has a list of performing arts credits to his name. He started early by winning an Emmy 
Award at the age of 17 for a piece he wrote, directed and was featured in. As a writer, he's written over 80 works for the stage. As a director, he's directed over 200 evenings of theatre, working with many top stars such as John Travolta, Kirstie Alley, Anne Archer and Charles Durning. As an actor, he's performed over 150 roles. As a musician, he's directed over 50 musicals, but it is as a father that he's the star. It was while homeschooling his two children as a single dad that Stephen created a homeschool curriculum for them called Connect the Thoughts. Stephen, welcome to my show this afternoon. Hi, Vivian. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm very interested in what you were saying just before you went off uh, about uh, your your own children, what you encountered with the schools and testing and, and uh, your own expectations and theirs regarding your kids. Yeah, I know. I mean, that was it was so, to me, I went, Gosh, if my six-year-old is reading at that level, then what is, what's that saying about what they expect children to be achieving at that age? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I think we have to start with the idea that, that there are no children who aren't extraordinary. Uh, there are no children who don't have uh, incipient abilities waiting to be discovered and developed. They all have ideas. They all have interests. They all have skills. Yeah. And the, the form of evaluation that schools use um, is antiquated to begin with, but is also very destructive. Mm-hmm. It's critically based and it's comparative. As mm-hmm. if you could compare two children, why would you compare children? They're invariably going to be wildly different with wildly different skill sets. And uh, what we want is for every child to win the game. We want every child to experience life and experience their ideas and succeed. So what is the point of all this other than to destroy lives? Well, and also to um, attract, you know, certain socioeconomic groups of children into these other these schools that would otherwise, I guess, close down or fail so miserably that nobody wanted to ever go there. So, you know, it's all it's very manipulative and it's all bottom line. It's all about money and that really irritates me. It is all about money. Uh, when I was working for Los Angeles Unified School District, which I only did for a year because, you know, frankly, I, I, I couldn't bear it. It was so appalling, so disgusting, the way they do their what they call education. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I discovered, uh, really to my horror, is that uh, schools really are only interested in the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, this was a public school. It was a magnet school. It was a high school. And I had a student who was uh, in the 11th grade, and he was a really brilliant young man, uh, very capable actor, very interesting, but he was entirely illiterate. He could not sign his own name in the 11th grade. Mm -hmm. I had him in English elective courses, and I went to the head of the English department, and I sat her down, and I said, look, you know, this young man really needs our help. And at that time, I was 24 years old, and I didn't know what I know now about education. I really didn't know how to help him. So I said, uh, you know, is, is there some sort of remedial program that we can assist him with? Because we really can't graduate uh, a 17 or 18-year-old who can't sign his name. And she said, absolutely not. You must give him a passing grade in your classes. Mm-hmm. And I asked her why. And she said, because... If you do not pass him, the school does not get paid for his attendance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's all about. 
Mm-hmm. And like my guest last week also said that one of the reasons why they don't accelerate children through the grade levels, if they're showing potential, you know, sort of for learning maybe a specific subject that they're passionate about at a higher level. The reason why they don't like doing that is because their budget is for kindergarten through 12th grade. And if a child skips a grade or two, then they get two years less money. Yeah, that's right. From that it child. Is, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all about money in the end. Uh, yeah. and, and, and then you have the the horrifying myth of the overpaid, overworked teacher. Uh, if you, if and I'm sure a lot of your listeners were paying attention to the Chicago teacher strike earlier uh, last year, uh, the teachers claimed that they were striking on 80 points that needed to be negotiated. And in working over those 80 points, even though they kept yelling and screaming that they were doing this for the kids, all 80 points had to do with teacher rights, teacher perks, and teacher pay. The teachers were being paid on average in Chicago, on average, $72,000 a year to work nine months. Mm-hmm. And from the strike, as a result of the strike and their negotiations, their union secured them pay that will go up in four years to 80000 on average for nine months of work, where the average working man in Chicago only makes $26,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So there are no overpaid teachers. There are no overworked teachers. And the bottom line is that since the results the uh, public schools get are so hellacious, so horrible and destructive, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure why we're paying them anything at all. And sometimes I'm not sure why we're not putting them in jail for malfeasance. Some of the teachers. There are some teachers that are really you know, passionate about their jobs, but um, you don't hear about them. No, but they're contributing to the system. Even a good teacher who uh, accepts the paycheck and supports that system is contributing to the system. I I actually, I'm not quite sure that there are good teachers in the public schools. There are effective teachers, Mm -hmm. but are they good people? That I would debate. Okay. Well, we can define the word good later. All right. Mm -hmm. It's it's, kind of like gifted. (laughs) All right. So, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me. And you say, I'm going to talk now a little bit about you. You say that nothing is more important than your children. Other parents have to feel the same way, only you manifested it differently. Would you like to um, tell us what you did? Of course. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm a writer and a director, and I have been my, my whole adult life. And um, uh, after I, I married at age 30, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, it, we had uh, rather rapidly, we had a daughter and then uh, four years later a son. And um, while they were in school, uh, I made sure that they never went to public schools uh, because I had worked in public schools. Uh, so they went to private schools for the first part of their lives, and I taught at their private schools. I made sure that I was there uh, almost every day. They were in school. I ran the arts departments and created them because that's my area of expertise and uh, made sure that they had a real arts program to be exposed to. But I also kept an eye on their education. Uh, they moved through several private schools and uh, – uh, then uh, in 2001, my, my wife passed away, mm-hmm. and my, at that time, my daughter was 13 years old and my son was nine, and I felt that being their only parent, that it, it now was really up to me to make sure that they were okay, entirely my responsibility. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And I looked very hard at the homes, at the uh, curriculum that they were receiving in the uh, private school where I was teaching. But uh, obviously, I wasn't creating their history or their math or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. And I, I thought that it was pretty awful and that they weren't actually receiving the kind of education that I would have felt comfortable sending them into their adulthood with. Uh, my daughter came home one day with her first history assignment. It was a single sheet of paper in high school, her first high school history assignment, a single piece of paper with some uh, goofy line drawings on it, and it was supposed to represent the history of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I held my head for an hour, and then I pulled them out of the school. <laughs> uh, that night I started writing history courses for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and for the next 10 years, that's what I did. I homeschooled them. We immediately formed a homeschool group with two other families. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, in our case, uh, the two moms that I worked with were also trained teachers in the sense that they had worked in private schools. None of mm-hmm. us had worked in uh, public schools except for me, and my exposure to that was very, very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I am not a college graduate. I never went to college, not for a day. But mm-hmm. I taught at USC, and I taught at UCLA, and I mm-hmm. taught it uh, for the uh, public schools because I have expertise in an area where they need instructors with expertise as a writer and a director. Mm-hmm. So um, we uh, started our homeschool group. We had 10 kids in my house every day. So mm-hmm. the socialization issue, which I find very laughable when they talk about homeschoolers not being socialized. Uh, that issue was never an issue for us because we had a group of children in my house every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were doing the curriculum I authored. I found a good math curriculum for them, uh, for homeschoolers that I thought was workable. And we proceeded to do that for the next six or seven years. Really? Yep. Um, so yeah. So, so everybody with, gathered at your house all the time. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Uh, you know, and one of the, Moms would uh, kind of run the quote-unquote, you know, school, the homeschool, and mm-hmm. make sure that the kids were doing their work in the curriculum. But also, we left a lot of room and a lot of freedom for each of the kids there to discover what they were interested in, pursue those things. Uh, because you're a homeschooler, you don't have to abide by the uh, <laughs> the mandates of the state as mm-hmm. far as curriculum is concerned and what must be studied and for how long and all of that garbage, mm-hmm. uh, which allows you the freedom for each of your children to discover what they really love, what is their calling, what makes them, you know, smile and their eyes light up, because those are the things you're going to want them to be allowed to learn all about and invest their time and energy into as they get older so that they have a life that they will enjoy and love. Also, by permitting kids to pursue those things as part of education, they learn to love education instead of despise it. Mm-hmm. When you force a child to study subjects that he's already been reasonably exposed to and he really doesn't do well and he really doesn't like and he really doesn't want to pursue, and that same child has other areas in which he's interested you know, you're making a mistake in forcing the state mandates as to, for instance, subjects like math and science, mm-hmm. which once again we're being uh, having shoved down our throats as part of the mandated education uh, according to the federal government. Yes, well, Stephen, um, we have to go on a short break, and I just wanted to um, add a small comment to that. My, my goal as a homeschooler was to um, 
give my children a love of learning and by doing you know doing that we read a lot and they just went in whichever direction they wanted to go in and discovered you know sort of materials at the library that they needed and that's how they did it so i'll be back in just a moment How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for Wise Up Radio, leveraging your learning, leadership, and legacy with Donna Kimbrand, the edgy evolutionary, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. If you're an entrepreneurial leader or visionary, stay ahead of your game with insights, tools, and strategies that give you the thought leader's edge. Each week, join Donna and her guests as she'll ask the edgy questions, help you discover game-changing shortcuts to better thinking and learning, how to explore the ripple effects of leadership excellence and how to create your life as a living legacy where the legacy you leave is the life you live. As thought leaders, you need strategies to help you enjoy the confidence and thrill of riding the wave of rapid change. For more on Donna, check out her website, GameChangerThinking.com. Then join the conversation and sharpen up your wits on Wise Up Radio with Donna Kimbrand, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Rockstar Radio Network. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism, the historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years, how can we hold on to what we hold dear, and the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Stephen, you've got 10 children in your house, and this co-op runs every day. And for several years, it goes along really, really well. Did the mothers take turns in teaching? Did you teach? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, yeah. yeah, we we would rotate those those uh, kind of jobs so that no one person had to uh, kind of take the reins of that every day for mm-hmm. you know weeks on end. Yeah. And um, it worked very well because the curriculum I designed allows each child to move at its own pace, which is mm-hmm. another of the very important strengths in homeschooling. Uh, there is no average student 
So there is no average pace of study. Mm -hmm. And uh, I designed a curriculum that allows each student to really take advantage of that and just move at their own speed. The only thing the teacher was interested in, uh, because we didn't do a lot of teaching, the courses do the teaching. That mm -hmm. was the whole point. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing the teacher is really interested in is, is the child doing well and is the student really looking at the materials and understanding them. We do have tests, but we don't grade. All our tests mm -hmm. tell us is what did the child not learn and where do we have to send him back so he can restudy a little bit and make sure that he did learn everything mm -hmm. uh, because we're after 100% comprehension. Mm -hmm. And that shouldn't be a matter of timing. It doesn't matter how long it takes a child to understand a subject thoroughly as long as he arrives there. At the end of the day, every child who studies should understand whatever was studied. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you shouldn't be penalized if you didn't make it on time because that particular subject might be difficult for you or, or may contain ideas that are a stretch for you as a student. Yeah. Um, so what was the age group? What was the, what was the age range? It really did range pretty broadly. Uh, at different times, it ranged from, you know, I think the youngest we had was about eight, mm -hmm. and the oldest were 17, 18. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it, it is a little bit of the little red schoolhouse idea. You know, you put yeah. all of the age groups together in a room and and uh, and you let it go. So the graduation of your two closed down the school. How did that? How did it close? <laughs> well, <laughs> everybody everybody got older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, after a while, my my children had uh, finished up their homeschooling, and so had the children of the. Uh, the other the moms that we're yeah. working with and yeah. you know you take the state tests and and you get your high school degree and and that's the end of that my yeah. son um was acting professionally before he he completed his uh his high school which he finished at age 16 did the mm -hmm. state test and graduated the first time through you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so he was already he had a career at age 16 and and uh, and that has kept him busy since then yeah, surprise, surprise, with a dad with all of those um, wonderful credits to his name. <laughs> you know, I did not uh, put much of a hand in there. And, and in fact, uh, he, had, he had done lots of shows in, in uh, the private schools, and, and I, of course, had, had taught him a lot about acting. But he came to me at age 16, and he said, okay, Dad, I want to act. And I tried to talk him out of it. It's a very rough business, and I, I really tried to point out that he had skills in many other areas, and which he does. He's a brilliant guy, but he really wanted to do it. So I made a deal with him that he could pursue that, and I would help him with a few contacts at the beginning, but it's his career. He would have to earn the money to pay for every step of it, his headshots, and you know, which are photos of the actor they used to get work, and everything would have to come from him. That was our deal. So within a week, I had introduced him to a friend of mine who introduced him to his first agent. He signed an agency within two weeks of starting. He got a job within a week of that that paid him around $7,500 up front. Mm -hmm. And he was off and running. He had his career in three weeks. It was great. Right. And, and I'll tell you, I was not expecting that. You know, yeah. it's a very rough business. Yeah, yeah. Um, so where are you? What, what state are you in? Oh, Los Angeles. Yeah, I thought you were. You talked about Chicago, and I thought you were just interested in that in that strike in Chicago. It doesn't mean you're in Chicago. So I'm thinking you're in California, because, I mean, obviously, that's the place to be if that's what you're doing. Um, yeah, so it, it, is it your daughter also? 
Yeah, my daughter writes screenplays. Uh, she's just completing, uh, I think it's her third one now, mm-hmm. and uh, is also interested in interior design and, and uh, is a wonderful artist. She pursued those areas. Uh, and again, you know, homeschooling allowed them the freedom to really discover these things and, and move into them, uh, you know, with both feet. But I am in Los Angeles, and if you're going into TV film, Unless you're going to do theater, then you should be in New York or London. But if you're going into TV film, you must be in Los Angeles. There is no choice. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I'm going to ask you, do you think that a child who has a very artistic um, background, both parents probably really artistic um, and performing arts and, and other kinds of arts, and, you know, they're really not up to scratch on the academics, they know the they know how to read and write and do their do their arithmetic enough to be able to get into a college and that. Do you think they're missing out or do you think further along the line if they're interested in something, if they suddenly become passionate about a science question, that they, they can go find that information that they've lost anything by not having to learn it in school? Well Vivian, I think you answered that question yourself earlier. Uh, education uh, the, the purpose of the education of the young, I think, the first job is to have the child love education, uh-huh. love to learn. Yeah. And if you teach a child how to learn, which would be the first and, and most important thing uh, to do in education, then later on in their lives, whatever interests them, they will be able to study and learn. Once mm-hmm. you've acquired those skills, they can be applied to any subject. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I feel that and when a child is beginning his or her education, when they're very young, they should be exposed to many, many subjects, certainly math, certainly science, certainly religion, certainly the arts, certainly mm-hmm. history, and, you know, any other subject that you can get your hands on. Mm-hmm. And what you're looking for over those, you know, you begin by teaching them how to read so that they can read and study, and you teach them basic numbers so they can do essential math. Uh, I have never in my life used anything more than that essential math in my, in, in my entire life. I'm 56. Mm-hmm. But you teach a child the basics, and then you expose them to lots and lots of subjects. And what you're looking for as they get to be 7, 8, 9, 10 is which subjects put the light in their eyes, which mm-hmm. subjects are the ones that they are interested in enough in that they may carry them forward uh, into their adult life. And then my personal belief is as a homeschooler that you have the freedoms to skew the time they spend and what they study in their education towards their interests. And later on in life, when they're 20 or 25 or 50, if they become interested in other subjects, you taught them how to study, they know how to learn about things, and they can certainly pick up those subjects and learn more. But mm-hmm. I would slant their education once they hit their, you know, late seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. Mm-hmm. Once they get to the ages where they're they're uh, aware enough of their life to know what they're interested in, mm-hmm. I would slant their education towards what they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that is such an important um, topic when talking to prospective homeschoolers is, I mean, just yesterday I had a friend of mine who said, you know, I couldn't homeschool my children. And so I asked her why she said, because I don't think I'm qualified. And I I thought, you know, and you get that all the time. And you constantly, well, are you a teacher? You know, do you have your certification and all that? And I'm going, well, yes, I just happened to do that. But that, that didn't help me homeschool my children. And, you know, it's just, it's just, 
the teacher, a good teacher, we, we, we were saying at the beginning, okay, a good teacher. What is a good teacher? Well, you know, in the Montessori classroom, for example, in that model, the teacher there is the guide, um, the facilitator. All the right. material is laid out for the child and, you know, she or he will help the children, you know, decide what they want to do, go here, go there. They don't actually sit down and teach those children anything specific. Right. And I, I, I think that's great. Uh, and, and it's much closer to the homeschool model, and the closer mm-hmm. you get to a, a, a real interesting homeschool model, the better. Mm-hmm. Public schools, of course, the teacher doesn't have the freedom to do what you just described. No. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're obligated to teach the required curriculum. Yeah. Uh, but. Yeah, you know, I first of all, I think anybody can teach, and I think anybody can teach their children, though it can be a, a rough road. I've written books about this. I've written many articles on my blogs about how every parent is qualified to teach and qualified to homeschool. Uh, the law, fortunately, at least for now, is on our side. Uh, you do not need a degree to teach, uh, any kind of degree. In the state of California, a couple years ago, the state Senate tried to pass a law, which was supported by the teachers' unions, that would restrict homeschooling only to uh, uh, credential teachers. We had, at that time, 167,000 homeschoolers in California, and that law, if passed, would have reduced the number of homeschoolers down to about 2,000. Mm, goodness so me. It, it was very mm. dire. And uh, Schwarzenegger, who was governor at the time, and Jerry Brown, who was the top Democrat, worked together and got that law thrown out in the courts. So we we have the legal right in California, whether you have a degree or not, to Mm -hmm. homeschool. That is true, as far as I know, in every state in the land. Yeah, it is legal. And you don't have to have a degree. So nope. that's that's something that we need to continue to fight for. And um, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association does keep, you know, that in their radar all the time. That's one of their main priorities around the world. OK, well, I want to talk about your curriculum. And we have a couple <laughs> of minutes on this side and then about five or six minutes on the other side. So tell us about um, Connect the Thoughts. Well, I started out writing it for my children, and when I, uh, they, once they began to do it, they showed it to friends, and then their parents showed up and started looking at it, and, and within a month, I had a lot of people who wanted to use it. Uh, my interest was in creating a very thorough curriculum in history, science, the arts, how to study uh, current events, at first for high school students, but I started getting requests for younger and younger kids. And I ended up spending 10 years and about 14,000 hours writing over 300 courses for ages 5 through high school and even for adult continuing education. I also ended up writing a series of courses on how to homeschool for parents who want to improve the homeschool experience for themselves and for their children, and I wrote two books on the same subject. So uh, my game is to eliminate the need for schools by providing a curriculum that you can start at age five with a pre-literate student uh, because the first level of the curriculum is pre-literate. Okay, Stephen, hold that thought. We're going on a short break and we'll be right back. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? 
That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. The Woohoo Radio Network presents the Diva Download with Tracy and Tasha. If you think Diva is all about attitude and drama, think again. The Diva Download is the premier online radio program where girls of all ages, shapes, sizes, and colors get together to redefine what it means to be a diva so that all girls can discover their inner diva and develop a healthy sense of self-worth and self-esteem. Being a true diva means you're diverse, involved, value-driven, and active. That's today's diva. If you want to celebrate the girl in your life through education and encouragement, empowerment, and entertainment. Join us every week on Tuesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and celebrate the essence of being a girl only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm talking to Stephen David Horridge. Uh, We're talking about his curriculum called Connect the Thoughts, and you were saying that you've um, written something that will take your child from the age of five through graduation and um, yeah. cut out schools altogether. So tell us more. Well, uh, the idea is to entirely support the homeschool process mm-hmm. so that at no time would a parent feel like they, they didn't have anywhere to turn to teach their child history or science or the mm-hmm. arts or, mm-hmm. or how to study. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that parents would feel that they maybe are not qualified to teach, as you and I were talking about, have the kind of, of uh, program in their hands, have courses in their hands that will do the, much of the teaching for them with just uh, enough guidance and support from the parent that everybody wins that game of homeschooling and uh, school as an option uh, becomes less and less viable or, or necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we... You know, I created these 300-plus courses. Uh, you can start your child at five, but you can also start your child at any age. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the program is very carefully laid out on our site. Mm-hmm. And so it's all online? 
Uh, yeah, we the uh, courses are all PDFs, and you download them. Uh, you can go to our site at www.connectthethoughts.com, and there are five hours of free videos you can read there and many free courses you can uh, download and lots of articles you can read. There's lots of materials there that are free and that explain exactly how the program works and how we support the homeschool process with what mm -hmm. we, we offer them. Um, can you give us a ballpark figure as to maybe how much that would cost a year for a homeschooling parent to do something like that? I would say if you had a high school student and you were going to go with our curriculum, we don't offer math. You would need a math program mm -hmm. uh, on top of what we provide. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, uh, it, it's not going to cost you. Most of the parents that work with our curriculum spend $100 or less per semester. Okay. Uh, so in a, in a full year, you might spend $200 for the curriculum. Wow. And if you compare it with private schooling or you compare yeah. it with schools that average uh, public schools between $12,500 and $27,000 per student per year, that's what it costs the taxpayer, mm -hmm. uh, it's an extraordinarily inexpensive option. But then homeschooling is an extraordinarily inexpensive option. Mm -hmm. Well, it is an, it, it is. When you look at it like that, you know, for um, buying and getting the curriculum, but generally one parent has to give up an income. So how do you get around that? I know you, I don't know how you did it. I mean, it was amazing that you, you, you were lucky that you were able to, to write, but I know that, you know, I need a lot of dedicated time in order to be able to do my creative stuff and, you know, trying to hold down a full-time job. I don't know. So tell yeah, us how I, you did I have my, my answer for that is that I think the one parent, one student model is the hardest way to homeschool. Yeah. And the, the, the easiest way is to form a homeschool group, as I yes. did, yes. and spread the load between three or four or five parents mm -hmm. so that if you're a part of that group, you might only need to teach one of those days, and the other four out of the week plus your weekend, you can go out and make a living. We did mm -hmm. that, and it worked very well. Okay, so that's you've got that outlined in how to homeschool. So that's one of your models that you use. Mm -hmm. It's in our books, and I've written articles about it, and I have a course on just how to form a homeschool group. I, I, I think that's the best way to go. Yeah, yeah, that does sound. I mean, that sounds fantastic. I didn't imagine that that's what you've done. You know, I'm just kind of thinking, all right, he's got his little family, and he's writing, and he's probably setting them aside and saying, you know, leaving them on their own, and you do this and you do that, which probably – works when they're older but when when they're really young like you said you started you know you have had an eight-year-old in in the co-op in there they probably need a little bit more time oh absolutely and, yeah. and if you were if you were to start with our our youngest curriculum for yeah. pre-literate students one of the warnings i give people who are working with five and six-year-olds is this is very teacher intensive you yeah. have to put in time yeah. you, you can't expect a five or six or even a seven or eight-year-old to just work on their own it's not going to happen no, no, this is your life. That's something else I talk about is homeschooling comes a lifestyle, you know, mm -hmm. and, yeah. um, you, you, and you made sacrifices. Yeah. And yeah. you made sacrifices yourself. So, you know, we've got to be prepared to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we all did, you know, all the parents who worked with me made sacrifices and I, I gave up my career for 10 years to do yeah. this. Yeah. I sold my house to be able to continue to do this. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, but, but they're my children. And I am their father, and I am their only parent, and I felt very strongly that that was what was required of me to make sure they had a good life, and I'm very glad I did it.
Well, fantastic, Stephen. You're to be lauded. I mean, what a great guest you are. Thank you so much. It's always wonderful to have a man on to talk about homeschooling because I have a lot of women and, you know, the men are involved, but they're usually the ones out at work, you know, um, making it work um, financially. So it's really great to have a male voice because that makes it so much more valid. I think that if the man is on board as well, then, you know, you're, you're, you're made. I, I, don't know how, I don't know how homeschooling works unless the whole family gets involved. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Well, sometimes, you know, mothers are almost strong armed into it by their husbands. I've been around those homeschoolers too. And unless your heart's in it, you cannot do it. You know, yep. so yeah, you're right. But everybody has to be a hundred percent; otherwise, it's not going to work. Well, I've been talking to Stephen David Horridge, who has many performing arts credits under his belt. But it is as a father that he's the star. Nothing is more important to him than his children. We talked about his journey into homeschooling and the resultant curriculum he wrote for his two children called Connect Thoughts. And as with all great products, Connect the Thoughts quickly stepped outside the small family unit and into the basements and kitchens of homeschoolers around the world. Today, more than 20,000 people have benefited from its courses. Thank you so much, Stephen, for joining me today. I've enjoyed our conversation and I hope to have you back. I know my listeners have been uplifted and heartened by your story. Have a terrific weekend and be safe. Thank you, Vivian. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that, that was great. That went nice so fast, so fast. It's always nice to have um, a dad on there. And I will put all of his, all of his um, links on my webpage so you can go and check out Connect the Thoughts. Um, and in case you had your whole buried head, sorry, buried in a hole in the sand this week, um, you will um, know that Lent started on Wednesday. And today is No Meat Friday, and I'm ready to start my time of fasting, weeping, and mourning. Joel chapter 2, verse 12, but not out of fear or anxiety, but not something to complain about or resent either, but as a true changing of my life, my heart, in order to experience a deeper freedom from sin and fear. So that's how I'm going to spend the next 40 days. My yoga guru, funnily enough, this morning worked on the softening of the gaze. When, when we open our eyes, we practice peripheral vision and looking into the middle distance. And this all helps because if my focus is fierce, my heart toughens up. With a soft heart, I can find God and bask in more of his love. What do you think of when you hear the word fast? Well, Ferrari said, my car crazy, son. Clever clogs. I think of a rumbling tummy. And according to mystics of all cultures, the putting aside of food helps to better feel the presence of God. But I've always wondered how that worked, really, because it just makes me feel sick. <laughs> I know when I'm hungry, my mind is only focused on food. Every restaurant I pass, food court I walk through, or parking lot I find myself in assails my senses, especially sense of smell, with mouth-watering deliciousness floating in the air. But perhaps I'm not to fast until my stomach aches. Perhaps I should fast from a particular thing, like my computer news feed, or Facebook, or chocolate, or looking at folk in the grocery store and wondering if they own a mirror, judging. Then when I'm tempted to do what I'm trying to fast from, I remember the season and utter a prayer. I think of God and his love for me. Maybe I will change. Maybe I will draw close to my Redeemer this season. And what I'm learning from all of this, though, is it takes a lifetime. On Ash Wednesday morning, 
early, my blue-eyed cowboy and I were devotioning together, spending five minutes with God, as the booklet called it, and I jokingly suggested that we time it out. (laughs) Our teacher daughter, now a nanny, called about three minutes into our devotion to say she'd locked her keys in the car, and could we help her find a number for her employers who were expecting her nanniness in about seven minutes? For the next 30 minutes, we got the rest of the story as we called back and forth to the convenience store where she'd gone to put petrol in her car. She'd already worked one job that morning at 5.30, so was on her next job and admitted to not thinking straight. She only grabbed her wallet to pay and bam, her computer and iPhone, also known as her brain, were stranded in Rosie along with the keys in the ignition. The gas station didn't have a computer either, so no help there except for their phone. Everything got sorted out in the end and Perry Poppins, my new name for her, came up with a backup plan in case this may happen again. She gave me her employer's phone numbers. So she also promised herself she'd attach her spare key in a metal box to the bottom of her car. In fact, it spurred us into that action, and we all now have a metal lock box beneath our cars with a spare key in it. In the end, the five-minute devotion lasted 45 minutes, and I learned about patience. That was a fine way to soften my heart. And I'm in the process of changing my website from a hosted to a self-hosted site, which is a load of gobbledygooch to me, but luckily I have a friend who can help me. To start with, I've downloaded all of my posts onto Word documents, which is good because now I'll be able to do something with them, perhaps. I write a book or not, who wants to hear about my silly life anyway? So I have come to the end of my show. I've nattered us right out of time. So I need to run and I need to enjoy all the things planned for this weekend. I've got dinner tonight with my friend, a bridal tea to attend tomorrow afternoon, then dinner out with friends and brunch with my sister-in-law on Sunday, and then dinner again in the evening with my gifted son. What a socialite I'm turning into. I'll be back with another breathless show for you, same time, same place next week. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight and is still my valentine, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guest this week, Stephen David Horwich, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Olivia, Jane, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Don't forget to listen to my friend Ali Lapreet on Mondays at 7 and Sandy Fowler at Hartfield Holidays, also on Mondays at 1. So you just stay tuned and listen to great shows on Toginet all day long. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And yes, I can give you Stephen's contact information again. His um, curriculum is called Connect the Thoughts. Dot com, so you can go there. So I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on 